Well, good morning. I have 1015, and so we need to get started. Thank you so much for being with us today. If you are a guest of ours, we ask you to please take one of the care cards that's located in the pew rack there in front of you and fill in your information. We like to have some information about you and at least send something from the church uh, to thank you for being with us in worship. On the back of the care card is a place for all of us to fill in any prayer requests that you might have. We want to know about those and pray for you as our church family. So take a moment to fill that in. As you leave today, there are two giving boxes. By the way, offerings can be put there, the care cards, two white boxes on either side of the double door as you leave this morning uh, that where you can put those in our, our, our ladies. We'll make sure they get those and get them to the right people. But again, thank you for being with us in worship today. A couple of uh, announcements. We are uh, glad that Alex Zolt is with us this morning. He's going to be coming and playing for us in just a moment. And then uh, Kevin Knight will be bringing the message this morning. So we'll be in prayer for Kevin, too, and Alex as they come and lead us in worship this morning. Next Sunday is Missions in Action Sunday. Uh, Jason Shive, who will be going to Laos as a missionary, will be our speaker next week. Uh, we'll have updates from our other missionaries and organizations. There'll be lunch served afterward down in the core. Display tables from our supported organizations will be set up on the track and the downstairs hallway. Uh, we like to give our children a little passport, and they can go around and get that stamped as they go around to each table and talk to the missionaries and the, the directors of our organizations. Uh, we'll also have take up a special harvest missions offering. All of that money that we collect next week goes into our harvest fund, which helps support you as you go on mission trips uh, throughout the year. And we have more people going on mission trips now than ever before, and that's exciting for us to see that. And want to encourage you that have been doing that and are interested in that, be listening in January. I'm sure we'll have another missions night to tell you about all the projects that will be coming out for next year. So we're already looking at those. Missions committee's working on those. So you be, uh, be watching and listening for those. And then uh, Sunday, September 24th, is our churchwide picnic at Frank Lisk Park. Uh, we'll be meeting at 4.30 out there, and we ask that you bring food for your folks, maybe a little bit extra, and we put it all out on the table and just uh, eat like good Baptists. It's always great. Yeah, some good chicken, some Baptist yard birds there. But anyway... Um, also, uh, we do have a need for fair workers at the Cabarrus Baptist Association tent actually tonight. If you could help with that, they need two workers from 5 to 10 p.m. Uh, you'll get a parking pass, all that, to be able to park for free. Uh, Melinda Edgerton or Amanda Morris, and I think Amanda will be at the information desk uh, after the service. If you'll go by and see her and let her know you're interested, she can give you more instructions. And then uh, just uh, another word uh, for a family in our church, there is a memorial service this uh, Wednesday at 12 noon for Brian Cook. Brian um, is 54 years old, and this past week uh, he passed away uh, with health complications on Friday morning very early. Tanya is a very active member here at our church, works in our children's ministry areas. And so that will be this Wednesday at 12 noon uh, right here. If you'll please be in prayer for Tanya and the family. Uh, and, and that God would just be with them in a special way and give them comfort. Also, don't forget uh, to pray for Pastor Scott and Miss Connie as they're away on vacation, uh, that God would just give them a great time of rest as they're away from us and bring them back uh, refreshed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. If you bow with me, take just a moment to get silent before the Lord. Maybe there are some personal needs that you have, and just ask God to bless our time together in worship. I'll pray in just a moment out loud.
God, we thank you that all we have to do is speak your name, pray to you, and you tell us that you hear us, God. We thank you for that and that privilege. God, we do this morning uh, pray for the Cook family, for Tanya and the kids. We pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would give them uh, the peace uh, that passes understanding that's talked about in the scripture, that you would comfort them and be with them in a special way. And God, that Wednesday would go well and be a a tribute to Brian's life and uh, that you would be with them that day too in a special way, God. We do pray for Pastor and Miss Connie as they're away from us. We just pray you give them just a great time together and a good time of rest and be able to unplug and come back just refreshed, God. And we thank you so much for them and what they mean to our church. God, just bless them and be with them in a, a very special way uh, these next couple weeks, God, as you give them some time away. God, for the other requests that are on our hearts, you know those, you've heard those go up, God. Give us wisdom to know uh, how to handle those situations, God, and just give us wisdom. God, we pray for Alex this morning as he, uh, as we worship together, with, as he plays, and as we think about the words of these songs, and think about our country, and what uh, tomorrow commemorates in 9-11. God, be with our, our leaders, be with our country, God. We pray we would turn to you, Lord. Uh, we also pray for Kevin Knight, who will bring the message this morning. Give him the words to say, God, speak through him. We know you studied the message, and we pray you just use him in a powerful way this morning to challenge our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen.
America, what a blessed country we have been able to be a part of. And like that, that hymn says, God shed his grace on thee. And in there, in that middle, you heard a little bit of God of our fathers. Um, our Congress enacted that as our, we have a national hymn. God of our fathers was enacted in the 1800s. And sometimes I wonder if today's Congress would even consider enacting a hymn as our a national hymn. But we have it. It's a treasure. And um, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, originally from Grand Rapids, Michigan, but not unfamiliar to Pitts. So it's like coming home here for me. Uh, but one of the things, I would not be on this platform had God not arranged or orchestrated for my parents to come from Hungary um, a long time ago. Uh, my dad came out in 1956 during the Hungarian Revolution. My mom came out in 76. And I'm so thankful that the opportunity God arrange that because my life would be radically different and I wouldn't be standing on this platform today without God's help for my family. Um, and there's one thing that my mom had to recite when she became a citizen of the United States and that was the Pledge of Allegiance. Would you stand as we say this, one nation under God. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. You may be seated. We honor them and um, military families, the sacrifices that are made. Um, my brother served eight years in the army. My nephew right now is in Iraq serving. And um, I'm going to play a medley of the patriotic military branches. And when you hear your service, if you have served in the military or have had family serve, or if you are currently serving or, ha or have family right now serving, would you stand when you hear that branch theme song so we can just thank you and recognize and honor you and your family for that sacrifice. Um, before we do that, I'd like to uh, focus on um, fire, police, and rescue, because during 9-11, they were such a critical part of the events of that day. So if you are part of that, would you stand right now so we can honor and thank you for that? Fire, police, and rescue. <clears throat> Thank you for all that you do on a daily basis.
the United States Army. In World War I, 4,057,101 soldiers served valiantly on the field of battle. To all the men and women of the Army throughout our history, our salute. States Coast Guard. During the Korean War, 44,143 members of the Coast Guard fought bravely for freedom's preservation. To the many generations of Coast Guard veterans, our gratitude and our salute. States Marines. In the Vietnam War, 794,000 Marines served their country with valor and honor. To every member of the Marine Corps who served in every conflict, we salute you. States Air Force. During the Persian Gulf War, 50,751 Air Force pilots put their lives on the line for the defense of freedom. To all the men and women of the Air Force who have continuously served their country, our salute.
we salute everyone and all the families and their sacrifice. And, um, you know, that's the amazing sacrifice and, uh, that our troops have given us. And, um, you know, I think of, like, my nephew. You get a phone call, like, you're going off to war, and then he can't give any information where to, you know. And uh, your heart wrenches. But you know what? We have a God who we can pray and ask for protection in our lives. And um, that's the greatest blessing we have is that communication that we can talk to a living, almighty God in, on the battlefield for troops, but in our own personal lives when we are on our battlefields. Anybody here ever have a struggle or a battle in life? <laughs> Anyone not have one? <laughs> yeah, life has its full. And you know what? I love how the testimony, God in the person of Jesus is at the cross. And we see the example he's given us because Jesus himself went through suffering, through pain, had the battles, and yet um, we have that promise of eternal life. But we have a God who understands what pain is, what suffering is. And uh, this next worship song is about that. Sometimes we need a chorus like this. Um, I kind of think of it as, you know, it does repeat. It's similar to like the hallelujah chorus, hallelujah, hallelujah. This, one's, this is how I fight my battles, this is how I fight my battles. But sometimes we need repetition to get that thought in our mind. The Bible says rejoice in the Lord, and what does it say right after that? Again, I say rejoice. So would you join me with this as we sing this together? Would you stand as we sing? This is how we fight our battles. This is how I fight my 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 battles. Like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Praise God. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. 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 It may look like it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you.
seated. This is how we fight our battles. I love what Dr. Charles Stanley once said. The closest way to win our battles is about 18 inches, which is a distance from our knees to the floor in submission to God and uh, asking for wisdom. And God speaks to us. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. In those silent moments, we can trust that he is the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And um, one of my honors that I've gotten over the past um, eight or nine years has been to be able to go into presidential museums for both parties and share the story of America, share my testimony, share my family's testimony of coming from Hungary to America, what it was like growing up in communism and those kinds of things. Um, and I always love sharing this next story about this uh, composition titled God Bless America. And a lot of times we hear the chorus to it, but there's actually a verse well, think of this. It's written by Irving Berlin. Irving Berlin wrote White Christmas, but he wrote this in the, um, during the 1910s. I think it was 1918 during World War I. He writes God Bless America, but he didn't like what he wrote. So he threw it in a trunk, left it in his attic up at his house, and then about 20 years later, um, a friend of his by the name of Kate Smith, uh, who was a radio uh, singer and uh, also songwriter, said, Irving, do you have anything that's patriotic? And he said, no, I really don't. But then he remembered that he wrote this about 20 years before, took it out from the attic, and rewrote the lyrics to God Bless America. And oh, for a while, there was a push that maybe this should be our national anthem, but let me read to you the, um, the verse uh, to God Bless America that we don't hear often. While the storm clouds gather far across the sea, let us swear allegiance to a land that's free. Let us all be grateful for a land so fair as we raise our voices in a solemn prayer. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above, from every corner of it. Here's God bless America.
And that's my prayer. God can move his blessing from our country to another country at any moment. That may, God may continue to bless this nation. Um, I brought some slides, and this goes back uh, 22 years now, but weeks after the towers fell on 9-11, a couple weeks after I was there on the grounds. And I brought just a couple sp pictures uh, to sc scroll through. Um, this one is in front of St. Patrick's. Now, I'm going to show another picture coming back to this. This next slide coming up are some of the um, just messages. And I mean, this was all around New York City, New Jersey area. Um, you would see banners and also printed out flyers uh, that were people looking for their loved ones. I would, I would take a ferry from New Jersey to New York and just the, you could feel all the weight of what happened that day. Then when you get into the city, you get into all the soot and the ash. And there's one distinct thing I'll never forget um, is that the smell of that area of everything that happened and how distinct that was. This next slide uh, is of the towers um, at night. We went down there and we were probably, that's probably about 30, 40 feet away from it and just seeing all the devastation um, that night. Next slide is of, uh, in front of St. Patrick's Cathedral and people leaving shirts, people leaving notes, people looking for their loved ones. And in a city that is used to a lot of noise, you heard noise, which was a constant hum and a constant buzz of uh, a high pitch, but there was hardly any chatter, hardly any talking during that time. It was such a solemn uh, time uh, in this moment. Um, and then the next slide is of the skyline where the towers used to be. And uh, for me, it was an interesting season. I had taken a year off from music school to focus on the ministry and um, to see where I could share things. And God had taken me to this area at that time. The ministry event that I was doing in New Jersey was scheduled back in uh, March or April of that year. And to, you know, be there and seeing and feeling the grounds of what had happened. And this is why we never want to forget this. Um, right now, between a quarter and a third of the population has been born after 9-11. And so it becomes a memory, but we, I pray that's never a distant memory of what happened on that day. And uh, uh, these images and some things I've just shared is nothing when, compared to when you actually like were there or experiencing any of that. And you can ask in any size room, anywhere, that people have a connection to either somebody, a family, someone uh, in the military who is a part of that era, and it's still uh, part of it today. We never forget in that. Um, and recently, because of that, I had asked my mom if she would sit down with me and we do an interview and share her story of how she came from Hungary to America. So we're kind of finishing up this uh, Blu-ray DVD, but um, I brought a snippet of what she recorded a little while before, which kind of inspired it. I, I was with an orchestra in Hungary a while back, and I brought my mom with me, and I said, Mom, Let's take a couple days. Show me where you were born. Show me certain things. And it's just a powerful testimony of how God showed up um, in some devastating moments in her life. So I can't wait to share this with you all when um, that comes out. But here's her story in her words. I came to this country in 1976 and remember circling at the airport for about an hour and a half due to heavy air traffic. At that time, I did not speak any English and didn't know what the pilot was saying about the situation. So I had some extra time to think. 
I just left all that was familiar in my country, Hungary, to the country where nothing was familiar, America. In that extra hour and a half, I started to think about what my new life in America might be like. I had grown up during the difficult times in Hungary. I lived through World War II and the Hungarian Revolution of 1956. I had left a communist-run country and was entering a free country, the land of the free. There was something special about stepping up the plane and being an American grant for the very first time. A few years later, I became a U.S. citizen. The day that happened will never leave me. I remember the moment when becoming an American became very real and personal to me. After saying the Pledge of Allegiance, a feeling of home settled in, and it was that moment that Hungary became my heritage and America became my home. And my mom credits God in all of that, through thick and thin, of what happened and some of what she grew up and saw. And um, uh, there's no other explanation other than God in those moments of, of hardship. I ask Jonathan to come down and uh, to help lead with this one. It is well with my soul. Would you stand as we sing this together? It is well, blessed Lord, O oh my soul. And I love what it says, whatever our lot, in other words, whatever we're facing, we can say, it is well. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my With every breath that I am able, 
Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Amen. You may be seated. Dear God, even though the events of 9-11 took place long ago, most of us can still recall them like it was yesterday. Some, more than others, are still feeling the effects and the pain. On this day, we remember all those who lost their lives and their loved ones to this terrible tragedy. We lift up their families and their friends and ask for strength, peace, and comfort. We also remember and honor those heroes who stepped in to help, to save, to serve. And we will never forget those who gave their lives for the noble cause of rescuing others. We are forever grateful and pray blessing and comfort over their families. We pray for the spirit of unity to revisit our nation, the unity we felt in the midst of our struggles and our confusion. We pray that our citizens would look to God for wisdom and guidance, just as many did during that time of uncertainty. But most of all, we pray for the swift return of our Savior, who will one day put an end to all tragedies and to all tears. We love you. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. like Revelation says, one day he will wipe away every tear. No more crying, no more death, no more pain, because the old order of things have passed away. I'm going to close before Pastor Kevin comes up here with our national anthem, but it's um, a version that starts off more, uh, I guess it's a concert version, but in the middle of it, I'll have you stand, and then we'll sing together some lyrics that were added during the rededication of the Statue of Liberty in 1986. <laughs>
God be the glory. God bless you, Pastor Kevin. Well, Alex, uh, I don't think that piano will ever be the same. I think there's smoke still coming off of it. I've never seen fingers move that fast since I had a bucket of chicken wings. You know, I can't even play the radio, and when I play the radio, I get static. So I just appreciate your talent so much and you using it for the glory of God. Amen. Thank you for being here. Amen. So for about the past month, I've been fighting this crud. and, um, and so I'm on my second round of antibiotics, and um, I was telling Molly, you know, it, it, it is difficult uh, when you are preparing a message, but it's even more difficult when you're under the weather and you've got antibiotics in you, and, and sometimes those antibiotics can make you a little woo, you know, so if I start talking about fantasy football this morning, y'all make sure and wake me up. Molly's just like, keep it short, Kevin. I'm like, okay, I'll try. Jonathan's like, you know, knowing Alex is going to be here, he said, well, Kevin, can you preach in 30 minutes? I'm like, well, I don't know. We'll see. Garrett Inslee calls me a chip of the old Scott. So here we go. I am very thankful to live in a great nation like the United States of America. Amen. So thankful. So thankful. It's been referenced already, 22 22 years ago tomorrow marks the anniversary of the largest attack on American soil where nearly 3,000 people lost their lives. It was a horrific day. I remember where I was when it happened, and I'm sure many of you can as well. That tragedy saw many acts of heroism. It was a tragedy that brought many of us together But it was also a tragedy that caused America, and specifically Christians in America, to seek the Lord. This morning, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be starting in verse 9. You know, according to Gallup polls, religious attendance the first weekend after the attacks was up 6% from the weekend before. Religious pundits proclaimed the last months of 2001 to be a time of unprecedented religious and spiritual revival in the United States. Over the years, there have been many tragedies that have brought people to their knees, and if I tried to name them, I would for sure unintentionally forget some. And yes, we do live in the greatest country on the face of the earth. I can stand here and say that unashamedly. Many of you have been to other countries or even come from other countries where we see that they are not even as half as fortunate as we are to live in this great land of the United States. But what I want to talk about today briefly is a problem that's facing America. 
that should cause us to get back to our knees and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus for help. Sure, I hope and pray that events like 9-11 never happen again, and I believe we as Christians should pray that way, but there's something that's happening in America today that should cause all Christians to unite in prayer. America is in a tailspin morally. We don't have to watch the news very long or research many statistics to know that America is in such shape. Crime and murder are up and church attendance is down. Why do folks think it's okay to get a big group of people and go into a store, a department store in broad daylight, and ravage that store and steal and take anything they want. And the only crime is when the good guys try to stop them. That upsets me. I want our judicial system, I want our justice system to be fair. But I think our justice system needs an overhaul. You know, in some school districts, they teach ideologies such as critical race theory, diversity, equity, and inclusion, social and emotional learning, learning and comprehensive sex ed that all seem to be valuable on the surface but ultimately espouse ideologies that are far from Christianity. Hedonism and self-absorption are on the rise, and some churches sit virtually empty. Yes, there are many things in America that need to be fixed, and as Christians, we need to vote our biblically-based and founded convictions. But that's not the ultimate answer. The answer lies within me. The answer lies within you and with anyone who claims to be a Christ follower. Even though we see the evidences of these failures on many levels, the heart of the problem is not our judicial system, it's not our education system, it's not in any system at all. It's in the heart of believers who claim to be Christ followers. I'm so thankful that America was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. We know that from history, but we've gotten so far away. Yes, we have so many heroes that are in the United States and in our military and, and good, godly Christian people who are serving our country and serving our school systems. That's not the problem. The problem is at the heart of the believer. And so, therefore, I think we as Christians should follow the words and instructions of the Lord that are found in 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. You know, I often tell people that churches are made of healthy individuals, but also believe the same could be said about our country. That our country will be good, strong, and healthy when we ourselves are good, strong, and healthy. You see, this is a corporate call. What we have just read is a corporate call, but it's also an individual call to us as believers. If we want revival in America, and if we want to get back to, to living the foundations upon which we were founded, it is an individual call to you and to me 
to cry out to God, to forgive our sins, to seek his face so that he will forgive our sins and cleanse our nation and heal our nation. Why do I believe this? Why do I believe it's an individual call? Well, Paul says in Philippians 2.15 that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I hope and pray my light shines. Charles Spurgeon says about this verse, we use lights to make manifest. A Christian man should so shine in his life that a person could not live with him one week without knowing the gospel. His conversation should be such that all who are about him should clearly perceive whose he is and whom he serves and should see the image of Jesus reflected in his daily actions. I can only hope and pray that my family sees the actions of the Lord Jesus in my life. To make this change, we must change ourselves first, and that only comes through dedicated prayer. You know, I've said a lot to set the framework of this short prayer, but you may be here this morning and you may be in a whole different ballpark. You have personal issues with your family or relationships or work. There might be a lost family member. There might be a health crisis going on, a financial crisis going on or whatever. But the answer to those crises are still the same. Pray. Someone once told me, pray when you feel like it. And then pray when you don't feel like it. And then pray until you feel like it. Well, the disciples implored Jesus, teach us to pray. And this is what he told them. Would you stand, please, as we read the word of God together? Matthew 6, 19. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And as the King James states, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time that we have to look into your word. Thank you, Father, for the great nation that we live in here uh, of the United States of America. You have truly blessed our nation. But God, in so many ways, our nation has turned its back on you. And God, I pray that we would get back to living the foundations upon which we were founded. And we would honor the men and women who died so that we might be free from tyranny. But God, moreover, I pray that America would get back to honor the life that died for us all. The Lord Jesus, and I pray in his name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So this is uh, referred to often as the Lord's Prayer, but it can also be known as the model prayer or the disciples' prayer because Jesus himself is teaching us how to pray. I remember saying this prayer over and over and over before every sporting event that I ever played. And I'm sure that you have similar experiences. Well, obviously, we're not just to repeat these words verbatim every time we pray, but we are to embrace the concepts that it teaches. 
And at its basic foundation, at its most fundamental foundation, the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, the disciples' prayer, whatever you want to call it, is broken down into two parts. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And the first part is this. First, we should pray for God's glory. So if you're taking notes, that's big Roman numeral number one. First, we should pray for God's glory. John MacArthur states, God's supreme purpose for prayer, the purpose beyond all other purposes, is to glorify himself. Although nothing benefits a believer more than prayer, the purpose in praying, first of all, is for the sake of God, not self. Prayer is above all an opportunity for God to manifest his goodness and glory. So when we pray for God's glory, we are praying that by his glory, he would manifest his goodness towards us. What greater satisfaction in your life could there be for God to manifest his goodness in you and in me? And what greater benefits could there be for our country that God in his glory would manifest himself to us? Therefore, I want us to look at three things that are outlined in this prayer that, that we can pray that give God glory. The first one is this. So you've got Roman numeral one. First, we should pray for God's glory. Letter A, God receives glory when we call him Father. God receives glory when we call him Father. We pray, church, listen, we pray, Christian, because we can pray to our Father who is in heaven. Verse 9 again reminds us of this. Our Father who art in heaven. We need to keep in mind, however, that even though God is the creator of all, he is only the Father of those who have come to him through his Son, Jesus. So if you are here this morning and you've never called upon the name of Jesus for salvation, unfortunately, you're not his child. In a sense, you're spiritually fatherless. So my hope and my prayer today is that before we leave here this morning, that you will know the joy of calling God, the creator of all the universe, your father. Craig Keener in his commentary on Matthew stated this, we must understand what God's fatherhood would have meant to most of Jesus' hearers. In first century Jewish Palestine, Children were powerless, social dependents, and fathers were viewed as strong providers and examples on whom their children could depend. Jesus summons us to pray, not like the pagans, but with a dependence on God as our Father who watches over us. He goes on to say this, when Jewish people called God by the Old Testament title Father, the title connoted intimacy as well as respect and dependence. Jesus summons his disciples to appropriate this intimacy all the more deeply in our prayers. Here we see that our Heavenly Father, He is not only dependable, He is our provider, and as such, He calls us to be intimate with Him. And we also learn from Scripture that our Father not only invites us into his presence, but he has made the way possible for us to be in his presence. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. 
But praise God, not only does he tell us that we can be his child, he provides the way that we can be his child, as we learn from John chapter 3, 16 through 18, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Our Father has invited us. He's made a way for us to be in his presence and to give us the right and privilege to call him Father. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. You see, we learn from Scripture that our Father, God our Father, loves us with an everlasting love. We learn from Scripture that God our Father has forgiven our sin and he's thrown it as far as east is from west. He's buried it in the sea of forgetfulness. And then we learn about this, about our Father from Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 that says this, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with singing. You see, God has known you before you ever came into existence. And he brought you into existence knowing every thought that you would ever have. Every word that you would ever speak. And every action that you would ever take. And yet, he brought us into existence anyway. And not only has he brought us into existence, we learn from this verse in Zephaniah that he is rejoicing over us. He's glad that he made us. He loves us. He exults over us. He sings over us. And he does so not because in some way that we have earned it. He does so because we are his children and he is our father. He's provided the way for us to come into his presence and therefore we can call him Abba, Father. Daddy, is this how we pray? Or do we come into his presence sheepishly without any confidence? We don't go into the presence of God Almighty in our own confidence. We go into the presence of God Almighty in the confidence that he gives us through his son, the Lord Jesus. And that's why we can call him Father. What would it be like if America called God Father? But if you haven't trusted in Jesus for salvation, you can't call him Father. You see, he is your creator, but he's not your father. But just as a loving father would do, he's patient. He's patient with us. He continues to stand at the door and knock. It's his desire to save you. Come to him. Be his child so you too can call him father and gain access to him, to all that he is, and to all that he wants to give you. Again, just think if people across America 
would call God and claim God as their father, how that would change them personally, how that would change their families, how that would change their communities, how that would change their workplaces, how that would change their education system, how that would change their local governments, and how that would change their federal governments. You see, it goes hand in hand. Individuals who call upon the name of the Lord are a part of these institutions that can be changed for God's good and his glory. So, God is glorified when we call him Father. Secondly, God receives glory when we hallow his name. Our attention is brought to this fact in the second part of verse 9 when it says, Hallowed be your name. Equally as important in being able to call God Father is the fact that his children revere his name as hallowed. In doing so, we praise his name not just for the titles that he represents, but for all his character tells us he is. We praise his name when we hallow his name. Hallow, according to the ESV study notes, means that God should be treated with the highest honor and be set apart as holy. Don't misunderstand me. We don't make God or his name holy because he already is holy. We simply praise him for his holiness and treat him with the respect and honor when we come into his presence. John MacArthur says, the meaning of praying, hallowed be thy name, is to attribute to God the holiness that already is and that has always been supremely and uniquely his. To hallow God's name is to revere, honor, glorify, and obey him as singularly perfect. So we hallow God's name when we respect his name and we praise him for his holiness, not to make him holy. There's none like him. He's unrivaled. He's unmatched. He's the perfect standard. He's totally in control of all. He's sovereign over all. He knows all. He sees all. He's never changing. And we as his children should honor and praise him as such. You see, to honor and praise and hallow him means that we should know what his names mean. His name means he's God the creator. God's name means that he's the God, the possessor of heaven and earth. His name means that he is the Lord. The Lord will provide. His name means that he is our Lord of peace. His name means that he is our righteousness. So when we are familiar with these terms of God and we embrace them, we exclaim to him that he is holy. Father, you are holy. I don't make you holy. You're holy. You are all these characteristics. And therefore, Father, I hallow your name. I praise your name. And I worship your name. That is how we as individuals and we across America should come into the presence of God Almighty. Exodus 34, 5 through 7 says this about God. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. 
All these names and many more speak not only to his attributes, but simply to who he is. And to effectively and accurately praise him and his name, we must know what the word says about his name. The psalmist exclaims this, those who know thy name put their trust in thee. Our desire to know him goes hand in hand with the genuine exclamation of hallowed be thy name. How well do we know him? How well do we know him? You see, we don't need to watch much news or see much entertainment to see that God's name is not hallowed in America. Craig Keener says, although many profane God's name and dishonor him in this age, God will see to it that his name will be hallowed in the coming of his kingdom. A time for dishonoring God's name will come to an end. A time of making fun of God's name is going to come to an end. A time of taking the Lord's name in vain is going to come to an end. But what would it look like across America and in our institutions if we so choose and if we so choose to honor the Lord's name? You see, honoring his name is not just a verbal expression It's followed by action. Charles Finney emphasized people who seek the day when God's name is hallowed throughout the earth must not only pray for his name to be hallowed, they must live as if they value the honor of his name right now. So hallowing God's name is knowing it, it's honoring it, and it's living it. God is honored when we hallow his name. Well, third, this morning, God receives glory when we pray for his will to be accomplished. Jesus says, pray like this, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we will see in the next section, the prayer uh, uh, is incumbent upon us to express our needs before God the Father. But the main purpose is for God's glory and for his will to be accomplished in our lives. This is why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. You see, some only pray when they want something from God. Or some only pray when they need something from God. J.D. Greer says, for the Pharisee, they're not seeking God for God. They are praying as a means to an end. It's about getting something from God versus getting more of God or getting closer to God. You see, getting closer to God is his will for our lives. Because that's what drives us to do what he wants us to do. It's not because we have to do it. It's because we get closer to God. And as a result, he changes us to do what he wants us to do. I remember back in the sixth grade, our Little League uh, took a trip to Atlanta to watch the Braves play. That was a long time ago. They were in Fulton County Stadium then. Y'all didn't even remember Fulton County Stadium. But we took our, our, our 12-year-olds down to Atlanta to watch a baseball game. And there are about four things that I remember from that game. Mike Schmidt hit a home run, played for the Phillies. The fireworks were awesome. And then I remember throughout the game, uh, I was a big Cincinnati Red fan. I loved the Reds. And uh, there was a hat at this kiosk, a Cincinnati Red hat at the kiosk. And I kept asking my dad, Dad, will you give me that hat? Dad, Dad, will you get me that hat? I kept asking him, I kept asking him, kept asking him. And you know, he's like, boy, don't ask me anymore. 
you know. But we were on the way out of the ballpark, and the game had, of course, had ended. We were almost at the gate, where the point of no return. And I just asked him one more time, just thinking he might do it. And he rushed back to the kiosk, and he ran, and he bought me that Cincinnati Reds hat. Man, I was so happy. I put that thing on my head, and I gave him a big hug. And it's like, yeah, my dad got me a Cincinnati Red hat. Go Reds. I was just so excited. But then on the way home, it was pretty bad. We were on I-85. We were in, like, Spartanburg, South Carolina, and we had a car accident. It was raining. It was really, it was really bad. It involved a transfer truck, and we had a, another car involved. But thankfully and prayerfully, I mean, nothing, none of us were hurt miraculously. But after that happened, my mom and dad uh, joined one of the cars in the caravan, and me and my two other buddies joined another car. And then when we got back to my hometown, Hudson, and we rendezvoused together before we went our separate ways, that was the first time that I really saw my dad after the accident. And all I wanted to do was go hug him. And so I went up to him, and I put my arms around him, and I hugged him, and he hugged me back. And all I wanted was to be close to my dad. I didn't care about the hat anymore. All I wanted was to be close to my dad. What do our prayers look like this morning? Do we want to be close to God in our prayers? Is that the meaning and the purpose of our prayers, to be close to God? Or is it just simply because of what he can give us? You see, the psalmist said in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When we yield to the Lord's will, he transforms our hearts and desires to make our desires his desires. Think what our lives would look like if we prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Think what America would look like if Christians prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So God receives glory when we call him daddy, when, he, when we call him father. God receives glory when we hallow his name. And God receives glory when we pray for his will to be done. But secondly, this morning, we need to pray for our needs. God is absolutely concerned about our needs. That's why God tells us to cast our care upon him. He tells us to ask, to seek, and to knock. God knows our need more than we know our need. And so how does this prayer express our needs before God? Well, the first thing that I want you to see this morning is this, that our need is desperate and daily. Our need is desperate and daily. We're instructed to pray this, give us this day our daily bread. You see, bread is the preservation of life. We need it physically every day to survive. In Exodus 16, we know the story of how the Israelites were in the wilderness and were at the end of their rope, and they didn't even know where their food was going to come from. But in their desperation, they cried out to God, and God provided the manna, the bread from heaven. God gave them what they needed when they needed it. But bread not only represents food, it's symbolic of all of our physical needs. Martin Luther said this, everything necessary for preservation of this life is bread, including food, a healthy body, good weather, 
house, home, wife, children, government, and peace. And I'm sure that wasn't just an exclusive list that he was, that he was listing. Now, we don't need to misunderstand this to mean that if we simply have enough faith that we will never be sick and we will always have all the money that we want. But we need to understand this, that God is the source and substance of everything that we need. What are your needs this morning? I'm sure we could outline the, the, the many needs that America has, but what are your needs personally this morning? Listen to what John MacArthur says again. He says, it's marvelous to understand that the God who created the entire universe, who is the God of all space, time, and eternity, who is infinitely holy and completely self-sufficient, should care about supplying our physical needs and should be concerned that we receive enough food to eat, clothes to wear, and a place to rest. God cares about our needs. God cares about what's going on in America. But you see, to me, ultimately, the bread of life that we need most is Jesus. He said in John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for the life of this world is my flesh. What we need most is Jesus. What America needs most is Jesus. You may be here this morning, and you know that's your greatest need. You know that you need Jesus. You need a relationship with him. If that is you this morning, then cry out to him. Call upon his name. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Which leads us to the second petition. Secondly, our most essential need is forgiveness. Verse 12 states, and forgive us our debts. Without forgiveness, there is no entrance into heaven. We learn from Romans 3, 23 and 26 that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. Romans 3, 10 says that there is no one righteous, no, not one. David said in Psalm 51, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. We have a problem. People in, in America who are without Christ have a problem. But listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So if you call out to God believing that God through Jesus provided the sin substitute for your life and you're willing to call him Lord, you will be saved and your sins will be forgiven. All your sins past, all your sins present, all your sins future will be forgiven. And he gives us the right to call him Father. He gives us the right to be in his presence. And he gives us the right to go to heaven when we die. Is that your assurance today? But not only do we need forgiveness to restore our, 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 our relationship to God, we need his forgiveness to restore our fellowship with God. 
But in crying out to God to forgive our debts, he's not saying that we need to be saved over and over and over again. He's saying that confession of sin is needed to restore fellowship with him. That's what we learn in John, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The sin that we commit after becoming believers hurts our fellowship with the Father. But he promises us that if we confess, he forgives and restores that fellowship. Is your fellowship with the Lord where it needs to be this morning? I would hope and pray that America's fellowship with the Lord would be restored. It starts in us. It starts in the believer. He stands ready to forgive. Well, lastly, this morning, our need is ongoing. Our ongoing need is strength to fight temptation. Verse 13 instructs us to pray, and lead us not into temptation. Of course, we know from other parts of Scripture that God does not tempt us to sin, but we are instructed to pray, lead us not into temptation. This simply means that our proper response to temptation is to honestly look at the power of sin and our own weaknesses and sinful propensities in our life and recognize the destruction that it could bring if we fall into the temptation. The petition, lead us not into temptation, is a plea for God to provide for us that which we cannot provide for ourselves, a wisdom to know how and when we are tempted and the strength to overcome it. It's an appeal to God for him to place a watch over our eyes, our ears, our mouth, and our feet that we would have the wisdom to yield to God and not our sinful flesh. It's a plea that we would be completely submissive and dependent on God and not our own willpower to fight temptation. We sang about it earlier. Our battle is on our knees. Our battle is on our knees, but you or I or anyone in America does not fight the battle alone. One of my favorite artists growing up was Steve Green. And he wrote a song called Enter In. Talks about entering into the presence of God. And he has this line in it that says, My spirit wars against my flesh in a struggle for control. My only hope is for surrender. So with each borrowed breath, I inhale the Spirit's will for me and die a deeper death. Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Is this how we pray? Is this how we pray as individuals? Is this how we pray in America? For God's glory to be done. For God's glory to be accomplished. For God's glory to be on display. And to take our every need that we have unto him. I believe that would change us. And I believe that would make America a greater nation than what it already is. Would you stand, please? Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you that you've provided the way to us to be in your presence, to call you our Father, to glorify your name, that you would think enough of us to die for our sins, 
so that we could be in your presence. Lord, thank you that we can bring every need that we have to you. And thank you that you are faithful to hear and answer our prayers. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning that this needs to come to this altar and, and pray and get things right with you, restore fellowship, or whatever the case may be, Lord, just speak to their hearts. But Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that needs to cry out to you for salvation, I pray that you give them the boldness and the courage just simply to say, yes, Lord, I want to be your child. Forgive me of my sin. I trust in Jesus to be my Savior. Give them that courage to do that. And then give them the courage to go tell someone what they've just done. Lord, we love you. Just have your will and your way in this time of invitation, we pray. Amen.